All right, I'm going on. All right, Commando here's live. Uh, we're going to go uh, four to ten seconds here, and uh, then our stream will be on. I've got 10.58 right now, so we're still about 11 minutes before. All right, you're on. We'll be good. Okay, so we're good to go. Uh, yeah, greetings, Commando. Out here on Cape Cod, we're getting some more snow today. It's insane out here. I'm not going out anywhere, but it's great because I imagine uh, all the hot news over the weekend was this uh, bitter hack. Uh, I know that uh, John just pronounced it beater. I, I'm not sure he might be right on that pronunciation, but it's uh, a Chinese uh, outfit. It's in Asia that they do huge volume. This uh, this site and they're they're very prominent. They've been around a couple years. They do huge volume. Got a lot of uh, value in different uh, fiats and altcoins and. Uh, Offer uh, exchanges uh, with uh, Bitcoin, uh, uh, Litecoin, uh, different uh, things. But again, like most exchanges, they are centralized, and they were hacked over the weekend. The bidder site itself uh, reads that the 7,170 Bitcoin got stolen from our cold wallet in uh in this transaction and they post the transaction that occurred on on the blockchain and that they offer a 720 bitcoin bounty for uh they say chasing it back i don't know what they mean by that and that all the wallets have been shut down withdrawals of the unaffected coins will be arranged later and they've got some um they got some contact points there if you want to send some messages in now, uh, what I've, who I've got with me today, we're fortunate enough to get uh, a, a, a self-educated uh, security guy uh, named Colin012, uh, or Colin012. I like to call him Colin Brady because Tom Brady wears number 12, and they won the Super Bowl. So this is our Super Bowl star, superstar of security, Colin Brady. So... Uh, 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 Colin, uh, what do you want to do? You let's. Uh, why don't you start off and give a little bit of uh, the one thing I do know. He's he's not unfamiliar. I, I found that um, in doing these interviews and being involved with crypto radio uh, and and crypto coins in general and Supernet Radio is we get a lot of these people are self are self educated that they. They started studying, and somehow they got this and they got that. They fell into a job. A guy named uh, Scott Allen, out with the Veracoin crew, got started it with audio stuff and then went to work for a manufacturing speakers when he was a younger man. I mean, actually, he was a musician and kind of fell in that to keep some money uh, flowing. And um, as the computer uh, computers and music melded, he got involved, and now the company has really grown, and uh, he's done quite well, and he's really effective on the, does programming and graphics, and is really up on the crypto scene too, and he's all self-taught. So, and I found, and that's that seems to be a a general, uh, well, a lot of people I've run into uh, are are that way. Now, and and again, he's uh, he's a younger man. Uh, we got a great, great cross section of of uh, ages here right now. 
Collins in his early 20s, Lutz is in his mid-30s, and I'm I'm up there at 67, the oldest man in crypto, Cavando, coming to you. So we got uh, Colin here live. So first off, Colin, how about uh, the, the one thing I would want to say is that a uh, way of an introduction to Colin is he did uh, collect a bounty for Next. He's been active with... Uh, He'd been inactive of, uh, until very recently, but he was active uh, previ in, in previously and had collected a bounty for uh, from Next for writing a paper on uh, the vulnerabilities of, of Next. So uh, why don't you uh, give a little uh, bio of yourself, uh, Colin, and uh, tell us a little bit, of, tell folks a little bit about yourself. Right. Well, my first introduction to cryptocurrency actually happened way back when with uh, crypto that was sort of a flop. It was called Ron Paul coin. Uh, the only reason I picked it up is because it was on Facebook and it had Ron Paul's name on it. And I'm uh, I was a big Ron Paul fan. So I joined into that and that ended up flopping because it was just a Bitcoin clone. And sort of from there. I actually got involved with Let's Talk Bitcoin as a transcriber. Uh, I would actually write down word for word what they said in articles so people could actually go and read them. And while I was listening to that, I heard about Next. Now, that's sort of where I've stuck. That's the cryptocurrency I've stuck with. So I got involved with Next, and one of the first things I saw was this big bounty that had been sitting there for, oh, I don't know, six months for a security paper. So I decided, you know what? I'm pretty good at researching stuff. So all I need to do is go look up security information, look at the next code because uh, I knew Java. So, and take that cite my sources and submit it as a paper and while I only collected a partial bounty it was still a good chunk of money for me especially considering I was out of work at the time so that got me around $200 just like that and that's sort of how I got started in security and since then I have been writing uh, articles on how to harden a node on nextform.org Well, that sounds pretty good. How'd you, uh, how'd you learn Java? Well, it started in high school. I took an AP computer science course that I actually ended up dropping out of because I would take too much time and actually look up stuff that was like 10 lessons ahead and write that into my assignments for previous <laughs> lessons. So yeah. I was actually really slow in turning in all my work, even though every assignment I turned in, I got a perfect score on so from there uh, I took a break for a while from programming uh, to finish school and after that I sort of went back to it started looking up Java and again taught myself how to program in Java from Oracle's website I see well that's uh, that's pretty interesting especially this stuff about hard nodes so that's uh, you know I got a lot of questions about hard nodes myself but we 
See, that's the whole thing. There's so many topics that you could go into, especially for as technical an audience as we have. Now, before I go uh, farther, I want to uh, do two other things. One, I want to mention, uh, I was incorrect yesterday. I want to correct an error I had mentioned on that, uh, that uh, what is it, the cafe, well, Web Panama Cafe, the oh, asset yeah. that I mentioned yesterday, I... Uh, it's uh, Mr. Knuckles is uh, in charge of that uh, asset, created that asset, and is the fellow that has uh, already done business in South America and has a working property that he's collected dividends and everything has worked fine. And those people that helped him there have, have got him going with this other one in Panama that he's turned into an a asset. That's Mr. Knuckles. Got it. I had mentioned someone else. And the other thing is that because of this hack, the uh, on Bitter, uh, it's, uh, of course, there's a big hue and cry from everybody in the entire industry for uh, more uh, decentralized. the same old argument that comes up all the time. And one of the, one, one of the reasons Supernet is, is being uh, developed is to have this secure, decentralized wallet, just like Next already has. But again, SuperNet, using the SuperNet concept, and the, and the a feature of that is called Instant Dex. Now, Instant Dex, uh, the, the MGW, the multiple gateway, is another important feature of uh, SuperNet. And... Uh, that's one of the first things that has to be done. Now, James has just finished debugging. James and his team has just finished debugging multiple gateway, and we're getting ready to move on to the next thing. And the next thing was Instant Dex. So they really get they were getting really starting to roll on Instant Dex, and then this this hack happened over the weekend. So they've accelerated their efforts with Instant Dex. And it's going to be, they're going to have a version up and uh, it, it, they, they probably got, they're probably testing it right now, but they're going to have a, a version available for people within uh, 24 hours. And then within a week, it's going to be up and running. And if J James made a statement yesterday that if, if it isn't working fine by then, he's going to put up a bounty and open it up to everybody so uh, we can get this thing up and running uh, faster than was expected and uh and in that regard the announcement i want to make that if you are testing uh instadex that uh if you fill up your order book right now because they're doing things like deciding how many orders each individual account can make and things like that and if you fill up your order book the only way to clear it uh, and these are the people that are testing or using it is um, is to restart at this at this at this time. There's no way to clear that order book except for restarting. So I just wanted to make that announcement. So okay, we're all set to go. Let's get back to uh, Colin. And uh, so we he he's uh, he did this Java thing and uh, is working uh, writing articles on hard nodes. All right, go ahead, Colin, from where you left off. All right, so. One of the things I wanted to talk about was, 
you know, how exactly a cold wallet could have gotten hacked, because cold wallets are considered to be the single most secure way to store bitcoins or really any cryptocurrency at the moment. So, so what I, is the definition of a cold wallet? A cold wallet is a wallet that really never touches the internet. That's why it's called cold. It's not live connected to the internet. The only time it ever connects to the internet is when somebody wants to make a withdrawing. Even then, you can avoid doing that. Uh, you can avoid having to connect to the internet with a withdrawal by signing a transaction and broadcasting it from a separate machine. Hmm. So, what I did is I came up with four different ways that a cold wallet could have possibly gotten hacked and actually two out of those four ways involve it not actually being a 100% cold wallet so my first sort of guess is that it was a sort of lukewarm wallet all right, now before we go on, Colin. Now you already, you've uh, already, you went out yesterday. You went to uh, uh, Bitter and uh, messaged them to try to get some information directly from them. Have you received anything back from them? Nope. All right, so no, uh, nothing from uh, Bitter, and have I haven't seen anything out there, any statements from them other than that that, that uh, one statement that, that was kind of in broken English. Yeah. And uh, that they're going to try to make good on this stuff. And, uh, and and that's it. Not a word from them. Mm -hmm. But you did make an, an effort to contact them. Yes. Okay, so, and now, because you haven't been, we haven't got any word, now you're going to speculate on what what might be going on from a security yeah. point of view. Okay, sounds good. I'm waiting to hear this. I'm, I, I'm, I'm getting excited, man. I, I, I'm a sick man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, as I had said just a little bit earlier, is that my first guess is that it could have been what I like to call a lukewarm wallet, which is essentially, it's basically a cold wallet because it's not connected directly to the internet, but it is connected to another machine that's connected to the internet. So let's say it's connected to an intranet, which is sort of like a localized internet with only certain machines available to connect to it. But one of those machines in the intranet was also connected to the internet. So the idea is that somebody could have potentially compromised the one machine that was connected to the internet and then from there got into the cold wallet. I see. And sort of the reasoning behind this is that it would be very convenient to have a lukewarm wallet because it makes sending transactions much, much easier because you can send it from the machine that isn't connected to the Internet to the machine that is without any problem. And, I mean, they're interconnected. 
Okay, I got you. So, so that's uh, that's your, what you're postulating for num your first postulation. All right, what's next? The second one is that there could have been a re uh, a residual virus from the last time Bitter was hacked. Uh, I don't think that really needs much explanation uh, because, I mean, if it was on a machine that already had a virus on it, uh, any time there was a... any time that cold wallet went hot, there would be a possibility that the virus could steal the private key of the wallet and send it out to the hacker. Yeah. I see. Also, by my guess, knowing how much the CIRCOM liked to brag, uh, who was the hacker last time around, uh, I doubt it was the same person. So, my next guess is that when they went to create the wallet, they either created it online uh, so that uh, the machine that it was on could have sent the private key out and that the attacker just would have waited so it didn't look like it came from there so that they would use it again. Uh-huh. Uh, or that the wallet generator they used was what's considered a low entropy generator. And what that means is that it's low randomness, essentially, so that somebody could have guessed it much easier, or a machine using an algorithm could have guessed the private key much easier knowing uh, knowing certain information about what patterns the pseudo-random number generator uses to generate the bytes of the wallet. Or they might have used, uh, so that they might, instead of 64-bit, they might have used 32 or 28 or 14 or something. Yeah, instead of 64 bits of entropy. Yeah. They might have been using that, so that was a weakness in their design. Could have been, or it could have just been a weakness in the generator they used, which could have come from a third party. Okay, uh, but I, I, you know, my my view is that that's their still their responsibility. They should have if if they yeah, if they definitely. got it from a third party, they should realize that maybe someone was instead of charging, uh, you know, them uh five hundred dollars a month they were only charging seventy five dollars a month you know so they were getting a bargain somewhere so they should have looked that over but anyway that that could have been that's and that's all hindsight if they didn't do their due diligence checking that out that's what you do oh and i want another yes. thing i want uh, one thing and before we go further i want to tell that uh, mention that uh, Colin's going to be uh, we got some information ready to get posted out some websites on how you can uh, have uh, put your own cold wallet on your computer and uh, some instructions on how to uh, protect your coins using these uh, uh, off-computer things and uh, that I'm not quite sure. I'm going to have to go to these sites myself, but 
Colin's done some research, and we got three sites for you, so you'll be able to uh, get some old call. What we'll be doing that at the end. We'll at the end of the uh, broadcast here. We'll put those up, and uh, they'll be available for people to download and check uh, themselves. And when we uh, put those up, we'll put those up when Colin goes into a little more explanation of how you can uh, protect yourself from uh, personally from these things happening or maybe even if you've got uh, a site or you know an asset or some other uh, digital data that you want to protect might your business or whatever okay Colin now I don't mean to interrupt you there once you go ahead with uh, your explanation and uh, so what are we are those uh, is that it is that three or is that four that was number three. I sort of put two together, so it's kind of four, but there is one more. Okay. The final possible explanation I came up with is that it was genuinely a cold wallet, but that it wasn't really hacked, is that it was an inside job. Somebody had access to it and took the coins off of it. Yeah, the big banana in the room. Exactly. You know, it could, it could it could be, and, and the way these things usually work out, I mean, even with Mt. Gox, which is the biggest one, the Japanese hack that everybody's uh, familiar with, is uh, it turned out to be an inside job. That's what these usually happen to be. But it could be that the insiders are, you, these techniques that you're mentioning uh, could be what insiders have concocted in order to make it look like it was somebody else. Yeah, definitely. Okay. It could have been done that way, or if, for whatever reason, the cold wallet wasn't stored in a secure location with a video camera and everything, somebody literally could have just picked it up, plugged it into a computer, or written down the private key, then entered it somewhere else and stolen the coins. Right, and a form of cold wallet is a paper wallet where you uh, actually print out uh, the the hash that uh, and the key, that are the keys that open the wallet, and you actually have the all of the uh, altcoins or whatever you're stored in that cold wallet. That's the only clue to it. That's the only uh, record of it anywhere. Yes. And uh, so they could have stolen that or made a copy of that and taken it home or something. Exactly. All right. So, uh, all right. So those are the, those are the possibilities. Uh, what, what are, uh, now, how, how do you go about getting these things back? What, what can you do when they say, well, a lot of times the hacker contacts the people and ransoms, ransoms back some of the coins. That's what they did. Oh, let's go over the other thing that you would found out. The uh, there's been the, the history of hacks, of uh, in the recent just the recent past. I mean, we got Mount Gox. What what about what's uh, how about uh, you because you're involved with Next? What what happened with the Next hack? When was that? What went on with that? That was through Bitter, also, wasn't it? Yes, that was also through Bitter, which is sort of where the idea of a residual virus from that hack sort of came from for this hack. Right. Uh, but 
I was involved with that uh, as part of Next Organization back when uh, that was bigger than it was now. And what I sort of did is I managed the media contacts because there was this, all this talk that, oh, Next is rolling back. The vast majority of people in Next are saying that they're going to be rolling back the blockchain. And when really that wasn't true... All right, why don't you explain, when when did the hack, this next hack happen? How many coins were involved? And uh, why don't you start with that first, before you get into what they did. Then when they would, uh, a rollback is a a way uh, to decide how they're going to respond to it. So when did it happen? How many coins were involved and all of that? What exchanges? Uh, It was just bitter, and... I'm trying to remember exactly when it was. I'm not the best person with time, so my... It was in the last six months. Yes, it was definitely within the last six months. And it it was some massive amount of coins, like 30 million, wasn't it? It was 50 million next. 50 million. How many next are there total? If I'm not mistaken, there are... 20 billion, but don't quote me on that. Jesus. But so 50 million is a good chunk of that. Yeah, well, in Cape Cod, we call that a shit ton. Yeah, that was well (laughs) over, uh, well over a million dollars worth of money. Man. But that, that's, that, but this, this hack, this 7,000 Bitcoin dwarfs that. But anyway, let's get back to, all right, so 50, 50 billion, uh, 30 billion next, and a 50, so it was only, uh, you know, five, a small percentage of the total next, but still quite a large amount, over a million dollars, 50 million next that were on bidder were stolen. Yeah. And then uh, what happened? They were contacted by uh, some, the, the hacker? Yeah, the hacker went by the CIRCOM, and what sort of happened is they were able to track down the transactions, and people from Next were helping them, because a lot of people in Next had some money in Bitter, so people in Next were helping them track down where the transactions went to, what accounts they went to, so that what happened is other exchanges on the network could lock down any transactions from the accounts that belonged to the hacker. I see. So because of that, the hacker was sort of forced to ransom the next at a lower price than he could have gotten at an exchange because no remaining exchange would accept the next. I see. So it's like blacklisting the coins that were stolen. Yes. All right, so they made a deal and uh, whatever, I, I don't know if, uh, I don't remember the particulars of the deal, but anyway, that's not important as long as we know the what was going on. So that's, and that's where, and then the other solution was, uh, instead of paying them, was to do a rollback. Now explain what a rollback is as far as the blockchain goes. I mean, most of our listeners will understand that, but... Some might we might get some new listeners here. So explain the the so one of the solution one of the ways to uh, 
could deal with a hack is to track the coins down through the exchange and if you know the coins that were stolen then you can the, the blockchain the, the the beauty of the blockchain is that it's mathematics it can't be changed it's frozen so you can track these things and find where, where they are and then blacklist them if you know the the end of the, the coins that were there so that's one way that they were going about it and then the hacker contacted them and agreed to return some for letting him them him keep some uh it wasn't about letting him keep some. Uh, they exchanged it for essentially bitcoins. I see. Okay, I got you. So they got. They eventually. So basically, they got all of their necks back, but the uh, they paid the hacker off in bitcoin. Yes. Okay. Now that that's that's a solution. Now the other solution is what Vericoin did. Uh, when they were hacked back in uh, September as well. Veracoin had a hack, and uh, they rolled their blockchain back. So uh, why don't you explain, uh, you know, how that works with the, in the blockchain uh, theory, uh, you know, for folks. What a, what a rollback is and the, and the consequences of that and why there's such a kerfuffle when people talk about a rollback. Got it. Okay. Well, what a rollback is, is essentially undoing a transaction or a set of transactions or blocks and basically rewriting the blockchain uh, from a certain starting point. And what happened is the next developers, uh, they wanted to give people an option for the rollback. Uh, so people could vote with their necks uh, by forging to determine whether the rollback happened or not. One version of next ran a blockchain that was on the rollback, and another version didn't. Uh, the ran the original blockchain, and the reason there's such a uh, kerfuffle, as you call it. <laughs> yeah, I like that word. That's a that's a good one. The reason for that is because when that happens, it means that transactions on the blockchain are no longer permanent and that the blockchain could essentially, if enough people, uh, if enough accounts collude, could rewrite the history on the blockchain and essentially undo transactions at will. And that becomes a problem if you're trading for some sort of physical good or some kind of good that you have to deliver. Because once the good is delivered, if somebody can roll back the blockchain, that becomes a problem. Right. Okay, and and the uh, and the good part now. That, see, that's all bad. But the good part of a rollback, and the reason they do it is, basically, those coins are zeroed out. They're not worth anything anymore. They become worthless. You know, they're back. They're basically burnt. Yes, and then the original account that held the coins gets the coins back. Right. 
Okay, so yeah, that's important. So that's uh, that's what a block, that's what a rollback is. And then next, and you're saying that next was was uh, had a had a vote through the community by the, by their next uh, if they wanted to go to the so it was, a, it was a democratic thing whether they wanted to go for the rollback or not. Exactly. And what did what did the community decide? They decided not to go with the rollback uh, because, I mean, what happened with Veracoin is after the rollback, it experienced a huge drop in value. So the general consensus was that if there's a rollback, everyone is going to be losing money. Uh, even if people are getting their next back, their next will be worth less than it was before the rollback. Right. Well, what happened with Veracoin is is they did the rollback, and the reason they elected to do the rollback was because they were they caught it real quickly. Uh, so uh, so they caught it real quickly. So in in there weren't a whole lot of transactions. They were able to track the few transactions that there were because I I believe it was P. Nosker was in charge of that. Uh, and and picked it up very very quickly. He was on the ball there, and in this case, a rollback was a plus because the uh, there weren't many transactions that were on the blockchain, and by rolling it back, the uh, the chain that had was produced that included the hack when it was stolen was bypassed so all of the coins were returned to the original owner so nobody lost any money they they well, well they, they, they didn't lose any coin exactly they didn't lose any veracoin but the veracoin took a huge dip there and has never really recovered from it exactly although they're still uh i mean they've come back up now they almost hit 6000 last weekend and they be and since then have become part of uh Supernet, there's a lot going. I was very active in the Veracoin. We started with Veracoin Radio, VRC Radio. Oh, and, nice. And uh, way back when. So I was really involved with all of that. And uh know those guys out there, good guys, especially that affects the cause. And uh, I did a live interview with him here at Cape Cod, in the Cape Cod studio this summer. Uh, really nice guy. So anyway, they uh, decided to roll that back because of those factors, so no one actually lost any money. And, and they have become part of the core of uh, Supernet since that time and are working. Uh, they're going to be in charge of the um, hard drive uh, storage that's going to be available uh, through, they're doing all that. They got some kind of deal with James. It gets really, uh, that's a whole show right there talking about all of that. Yeah. But the, but like you say, Veracoin never really uh, recovered uh, price-wise from that, although they're still a viable coin and part of the core and uh, very active with uh, in, in the programming and uh, in Supernet generally speaking. Now the other question I got generally just from my point of view from now next was created you know several years ago or well nothing's really several years ago I mean Bitcoin's only been around since 2009 yeah. but uh, and then 
this 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 new the next that we're dealing with now is blockchain two technology. So there was blockchain one that Satoshi Nakamoto created, that uh, created the genesis block of Bitcoin and started this whole ball rolling. And then because of some of the uh, as the technology aged, it, uh, people started to see this uh, was a proof of work basically is Bitcoin, so they developed this proof of stake uh, to overcome some of the uh, technical uh, weaknesses, oh, I want probably weaknesses, this isn't, uh, in a, things that it just couldn't do that uh, you could see that could be done. So that anyway, this blockchain 2 technology was written. And next is a complete blockchain, is blockchain 2, this newer technology, and it's completely separate from the Bitcoin blockchain. Yes. And that's what makes it uh, good for uh, building upon, and that's what, uh, you know, that's, and that's where how James got involved through Next and then Bitcoin Dark and all of that. So, uh it, 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 that's all correct. When, do you have any idea what the timeline is on when when next went from from the initial uh, blockchain uh, theory to blockchain two? Well, next never really transitioned. It was built on blockchain two uh, from the very start. It was. If I'm not mistaken, the first proof of stake cryptocurrency, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was, uh, it was a really big deal when it came out because of this, uh, there weren't really, there weren't really any blockchain two coins when next first came out. Next was sort of, if not the first, one of the first. Okay. Okay. Well, so anyway, so 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 it's uh, it's a separate uh, chain, and then uh, then James came up with this supernet. James and his team came up with this idea for supernet to uh, take all of uh, to be like an internet for coins, where all of the uh, get the best instead of. Uh, duplicating the same thing over and over again let's take a non anonymity was a big thing in, in anonymous transactions so in instead of having 400 coins all competing to see who has the best anon get one or two that have really good anon technology and make them super good make them bulletproof put them all together in uh in uh, uh, uh on top of the next blockchain and then have this multi-gateway MGW that all every coin that exists or any entity any digital entity can make use of by going through this gateway to the supernet and get this uh, this hybrid uh, features that are developed within the uh, within supernet and again that supernet uh, does not only they have all kinds of things marketplaces and yeah. uh, smart contracts and decentralized exchange and next has a decentralized exchange now 
where they the, and another thing that net was was next the created first they first created assets if i'm not mistaken yes next was also the first one to create assets which is a big part of the reason why i originally got involved with it okay all right listen we're getting a little bit off the part the the, the, uh, the very interesting this cold conversation yes and uh but we're getting off the subject of uh the hack yeah. So we, we you finished up with how you think it might have happened those four ways and the, you, you combined the two at the end there, so uh, so w it, so basically we're down to wait and see what happens. Yeah, so far, and my guess is that they're going to have to make some kind of deal with the hacker if they're going to get the coins back at all. Right. And the thing, and right now everything's frozen on there. There's like uh, there's 50 million next on the bidder ex on the bidder exchange, and uh, I think there's 50,000 uh, supernet. Huh. That are and, and since no transactions are taking uh, place because bidder is frozen, all of those all of those uh, all of those entities those those coins and uh, assets that are frozen on uh, on bitter yeah so so what so what can happen to those well my guess is that right now what bitter's doing is they're trying to make sure nothing else is compromised uh, which is a smart move so they've probably taken all of their servers offline which is really even though it freezes things up for a while, is the best thing they can do because it allows them to scan for viruses and sort of figure out what happened before they go and leave their stuff online where it could potentially happen again with a different point. Okay. Uh, so... That's uh, so the the bitter the the, the Veracoin hack involved the exchange Moolah, and then a, a couple months later, it was uncovered that uh, Moolah, of uh, the guy who was running Moolah, Alex Green, was this big time scammer that had been scamming people for years under an assumed identity. So, and and you already covered that that could be the, the, the that, that that's one of the possibilities here. Yes. Uh, now, the thing is, how about, so uh, do you think it's possible for Bitter to uh, reopen trading and survive? I mean, who would trade on Bitter? Who would ever do any business with Bitter again? Well, Bitter definitely can open up trading again. Uh, obviously, they're going to want to wait until they secure the rest of their stuff and make sure nothing else is going to be stolen from them. Uh, but the thing is, I personally wouldn't trade on bitter again. Uh, I actually never have, so I'm kind of I'm kind of glad about that after the two hacks that have happened there. Uh, but I wouldn't trust it and I don't trust centralized exchanges in general, which is why every time I need to go from Next to Bitcoin for some reason, I just use Supernet. I use the Baltai Gateway 
All right. Well, and, and bitter is uh, being uh, in Asia and uh, servicing that community over there. They do a tremendous volume. So what uh, I think what James sees and what I've seen in Supernet people see is that if bitter is on it right now, it's not functioning. So that means there's a lot of people that want to trade that are unable to. Although they might not be able to because all of their funds are tied up on uh, bitter right now. Right. But when when they finally do get them out of there and the question is, hey, will bitter give them back? Because bitter. See, that's the whole thing about a centralized exchange. You're actually trusting the exchange with your stuff. Exactly. And again, people up there, you should never leave anything on an exchange. That's the first thing out of the box. That I oh, learned. Yeah, definitely. That I, I I was well trained when I first got into crypto. I've only been in since uh, well, it's over a year now. I just got in last January, and now uh, the the fellow that trained me was uh, did me some good stuff when he explained the basics to me. He says when you start trading these things, never leave them. He explained what a central exchange was and all these different wallets. Never leave them on there. Have them in your wallet transfer to the exchange, do your business, and then get them back into your wallet. That's the best way to do. It's kind of a pain in the ass, but he said you really need to do that, make it a habit, and, you, and, and it saved me some Veracoin, and, it's, it's, and I do that all the time. You know, I, I don't have anything. The only thing I have out, I trade mostly on Bitrex, and I got some, v, my VPN coin I've got, on the on the, on the bit on my Bitrex wallet because I haven't been able to figure out how to get that damn wallet working, uh, you know, and I got too many other things to do. What with Supernet Radio Network and everything going on, but that's a general rule. So now, how about that? Now, how else, uh, Colin? Let's get to uh, let's get to uh, so Instadex is going to be up and ready. Uh, and that's why the rush is to Instadex because of this volume of transactions that there isn't going to be a place to do it and people aren't going to want to trust Bit, Bitrex, uh, Bitter, then uh, Instadex is the decentralized exchange. That's why they're rushing to get this up so uh, they can uh, grab some of all, that business. That, uh, that, and, and, of course, Instadex is completely decentralized. So that's why they want to do that. Uh, so what and how else besides trading on a decentralized exchange and there, there really aren't any except for the next exchange, right? What are there any other decentralized, uh, exchanges? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. Uh, if anybody out there in, uh, Supernet land can help us with that, we'd appreciate that. We could clear that up for people. So yeah. how else can people uh, protect themselves? Now they, so take for instance me, I I take my uh, my Bitcoin dark wallet, mm -hmm. and uh, I buy some more Bitcoin. I'm not a seller yet. I, I'm 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 accumulating at at various prices. So I get some Bitcoin at the end of the month. I transfer it into Next. I go out to Bitter, uh, to Bitrex. I buy some Bitcoin Dark. I immediately transfer to my wallet, which is on my machine. 
Now, my machine could get hacked or some reason or some virus or whatever. The possibilities of that are. I don't believe anything can ever be 100% secure myself. I mean, you can get pretty damn close, especially with telepathy and teleport that James has done. So the, the way to ultimately protect yourself is to go to a paper wallet or a cold wallet. Other than that, now... You, you had done some research on this. How, uh, is, is that true? How does that whole thing work? And where can people get paper wallets and cold wallets? And how do they go about protecting themselves that way, uh, Colin? All right. Well, the first thing about creating a cold wallet, uh, which a paper wallet is sort of a subform of, is to not ever do it online. So what you need to do somehow is you need to get some kind of software that you can use to generate it with your computer unplugged from the internet. So what I found is that the best way to do this is to go to bitaddress.org, which is a basically Bitcoin wallet or paper wallet generator. And what you can do with that is you can download it because the whole thing is all in one page. It's all written in JavaScript. So all the functions are done offline. So you can download the web page. Uh, all you have to do is right click on it and uh, do save web page as or whatever. Now, there's sort of two different directions you can go from there. If you're really paranoid like me, uh, <laughs> what you can do is you can save that web page onto a flash drive. Uh, then uh, what you do is you download something like uh, Tails or Damn Small Linux. And uh, you use that with... Uh, you use that with Oracle VirtualBox, which is essentially a virtual machine device. And you take that, uh, you take that Linux and you run it on a virtual machine without installing it ever, which means that anything you save on there, all of the data will be saved to RAM, which means it's cleared as soon as it's done. Uh, it's not saved onto the hard drive ever, which is what you want. So, or what you don't want. You don't want it saved on the hard drive. Sorry about that. Uh, so you boot it up. You plug the flash drive in. You connect the flash drive to VMware, and your computer should be unplugged from the internet at this point. You open the web page file and... Uh, whatever their web browser is. Uh, and what it'll have you do is it'll have you move your mouse around to generate some entropy or some randomness uh, to help generate the wallet to make it more secure. Then what you do is there's sort of a separate section called paper wallets. You click on that. Uh, then... There's a little checkbox that says uh, BIP38 encryption. Uh, BIP stands for Bitcoin Improvement Proposal. 
And you want to check that, which means that even the paper wallet itself will be encrypted so that even if someone does manage to steal your paper wallet, they won't be able to access it without a password. So you do that, you click generate paper wallet, and it'll create a paper wallet or a number of paper wallets from you using the entropy you generated. So then you put that back onto your flash drive, uh, or you put the private key, the private key and the public key on your flash drive, which is, you could leave it there and make it a flash drive cold wallet, or what you can do is you can pull it out of the computer, plug it into, uh, if your printer accepts USB devices, you can plug it into there and print out the file. Anyways, after all this is done, you go, you close the virtual machine, and this will wipe away any data that was on it. And remember, it's not hooked up to the internet, so there's nothing there. And just to make sure there's nothing left in the RAM, you restart your computer before plugging it back into the internet. And therefore, you have a cold wallet that was generated offline with almost zero possibility that it was ever leaked to the internet. Right, and then send it back to the flash drive. Yes, and then what you do is you never... Or print never, it to paper, yeah. Yeah, you never ever take your cold wallet, plug it in online, and reuse it. Every time you want to take funds out of a cold wallet, you have two options. You can either use something like a Trezor, which can sign a transaction offline... All right, and a treasure, a treasure is a, uh, a a a a piece of hardware. It's a hardware device. I think they cost about one hundred and fifty bucks. They presently only work for Bitcoin. They're they're working on getting them all set up for other coins. So this is another piece of hardware. So you can use this treasure, this other piece of hardware. Go ahead. Yes, to uh, sign a transaction offline, or there's a few other options. Uh... There's not too many of them. I believe I sent Lutz a link that he can post up on the website for uh, for a list of different hardware wallets that are available. Yeah, he posted some of them already. Okay. And you can use that as a cold wallet to sign a transaction offline. Or if you have to create a transaction and broadcast it online, uh, what you do is afterwards you create a new paper wallet or a new cold wallet offline and then send the funds to it. I see. That way your funds are as secure as possible. There's almost no chance of a security leak of your uh, security leak onto uh, security leak Onto the internet, excuse me. Sorry, a little bit of a stutter there. No, okay, no, you're doing good. Uh, I mean, if I'm following it, and if Cavano can follow it, most everyone else can follow it. But again, uh, we do have a, a pretty uh, slick audience. 
uh, you know, as far as understanding these things. But even if that, it, it sounds pretty tech heavy with uh, all of the programming and virtual machines and Java yeah. and all this other stuff. Now, yeah, it's uh, an easier way to do it, but it's a little less secure. Okay, now uh, I hope I don't under overstep my bounds here, but uh, I'm sure that Colin would be available for consultation uh, as a consult to help you. Uh, if you uh, can contact him, he'd be happy to uh, take uh, to help you out with your concerty con concerns for uh, for monetary considerations, people. Yes. So yeah. uh, that's one of the beauties of the SuperNet and James is that he's found a way to monetize this stuff so it's self-sustaining because everybody's got to pay their bills. Now, Colin's been uh, kind enough to come on. As a matter of fact, I see, uh, and you know, we, I, I see, I've I got some other questions that are in the, the news and stuff that's come back about security. If this is just a great subject, uh, generally speaking, for crypto and uh, people involved in computers and digital data and anybody who's uh, concerned about, uh, and that's everybody. You know, with all these, with all these hacks, and uh, they're hacking into Target and taking them off ATM machines, and I mean, uh, there was a, actually just a recent hack at Blue Cross Blue Shield, where they stole millions of people's uh, social security numbers and stuff like that. Jesus. So, yeah, as a matter of fact, last, last one of those last, people who was possibly have my social security number compromised now. Well, last year, I got a note uh, around this time last year that uh, thanks for filing my uh, income tax, but uh, did I really file? And uh, what it was is the IRS had, uh, had caught on to the fact that a lot of people are just, there's these people out there that are filing fraudulent income taxes ahead of people before they retire. My, my, most of my income comes from uh, Social Security and uh, some work I did for the government earlier in my life mm -hmm. that uh, they still pay me for, and, uh, and none of it's taxable. So I don't have to pay any taxes on that, so I don't have to file. And so it's been like, and this all started coming in like three or four years ago, and so my account had been dormant, and somebody filed for me anyway. Wow. You see, so the government uh, picked up on that, and they asked me. They sent a letter to me, and I sent back to them, hey, I haven't filed in two, three years. And they said, okay, that's all we wanted to know. And they, did, they contacted me and told me that I was clear on all of that. But there's all kinds of things, questions with security that people are concerned about. Uh, I see Lutz did post that stuff up there uh, about the cold wallets. I want to thank you for doing that. And I'm, I'm sure that uh, the people out there uh, will, will be uh, checking that stuff out and uh, are grateful to you for uh, explaining all of this stuff for them. I, I, I thought you're, you're very clear in your explanation uh, I, I and very. I noticed that your delivery is is um, is slow and deliberate and uh, and accurate 
almost to 100%. You only had the correct, you only misspoke about two times there. And I wish, Cavando, I wish I could do that. You know, I'm, I'm always misspoken. So, uh, but again, in the security business, you got to be careful. So, so that's good. Now, the other thing that I saw today and that you had mentioned to me previously uh, when we were getting ready to come on the air was this, uh, this claim by Kapersky that, uh, yeah, is it Kapersky? Kapersky now is, is that's a, is that's a Russian, is that a company, a individual company, or is that the Russian government? What is Kapersky? Kaspersky is uh, how you pronounce it, and it is basically an antivirus software company based in Russia. Yeah, well, we know who that is. That's fucking Putin himself, that guy. That's the Russian mafia. Possibly, but it is considered among the best antivirus software you can buy. Okay. And they do a lot of research into... Uh, into different types of different types of viruses that can come about and what they found is a virus which embeds itself in the firmware of your hard drive which is considered to be the second best real estate for a hacker to get access to because it's virtually undetectable for one and two once it's in there it is extremely difficult to get rid of without completely replacing your hard drive yeah and that's the and that's the basic and and, and that's in there in uh what is it how's it pronounced i'm in kaspersky yeah kaspersky Kaspersky is claiming that uh, it, the CIA in the United States is responsible for that, which leads me to uh, think that that's what this Stuxnet that uh, the that the CIA used to disable and Israel took responsibility for to disable the uh, nuclear program and all kinds of, of power plants and things like that in uh, Iran. That, that's the Stuxnet uh, is what they use to do that. Am I correct in that? If I'm not mistaken, you are, but I'd have to look at it again. Uh, it's not in my notes right now. Right. I remember seeing they did a big thing on uh, on 60 Minutes, which is a news magazine here in the States that uh, is pretty well known. Uh, Bob Simon, a contributor, had died tragically in a car wreck in New York just a couple days ago. Uh, it was very good on that show. Uh, I'm not sure if he did the report on that Stuxnet in the computer and how uh, the the wh what you're saying, what how this Stuxnet thing worked. Uh, from what I got from this this uh, 60 Minutes report was how the U.S. did it or Israel or whoever was responsible for it, is they sent out uh, these uh, you know. It, Impulse, electronic impulses, computer impulses that went into the machines of the centrifuges and uh, cyclotrons and all the stuff that they used to make these nuclear devices in the power plants. And they sat in there for months and collected the data of that was coming in, analyzed the data that was coming into the motors 
on when they were being shut off and the kilohertz and all this other stuff. And again, this is the firmware that you're talking about. And then after they had collected all this informa information, they were able to just, you know, flip a switch and all of their, all of the machinery was ruined. Like you said, it all had to be replaced. They just, yep. they just shut it down. So, uh, and that was, that's just today that this uh, Kaspersky has come up and said that. So uh, this I thing, find, uh, I did find you were correct. It was Stuxnet. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, that's it, and that's and that's our people. So if they're doing that to the foreigners, you know what are they doing to us? Exactly. Uh, especially with all this stuff, Edward Snowden has revealed. Right. I'm getting to think that uh, he's getting to be a hero of mine, at Edward Snowden. Yeah, me too. I mean, he that 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 goddamn carry. He's from Massachusetts. I like to strangle him. I better watch out what I say. I'll be having them black helicopters flying around my house. But uh, you know, he's just an embarrassment to me. Always has been uh, since his days in uh, in the Vietnam War and his claims of doing this and doing that. And then he threw his medals away uh, in the demonstration a couple years after the war and all his political antics here in Massachusetts that I'm well aware of. And he just, uh, you know, uh, does, uh, uh, his values and his moral fiber is uh, questionable at best, in my opinion. And he's representing us as a secretary of state with all these other people. And uh, he's, uh, I, I've gotten off this tangent. I get, I'm, I'm getting so angry now that uh, I've forgotten what I was talking about. But uh, that John Kerry is just no good. He's an embarrassment to me. So anyway, um, all right, well, let's go on with the show. I, I, I think that's about it. What else we got to talk about? What else can you, uh, uh, you got anything else that might help these people out about this, these hacks and uh, what they should do? So generally speaking, you should, uh, have firewalls and uh, key lock. Uh, see, there's so much to do with this this yeah. security. Firewalls, key loggers, how to protect yourself uh, from this stuff as best you can and get some stuff. So um, what else you got to uh, you, you got anything else you want to say? How, we got any questions out there? I didn't see any uh, questions come in from uh, people. You did such a good job. Uh, I got this one thing. All right, someone had asked, uh, Avdukat had asked about any suggestions for people to protect themselves. Uh, did we cover that, or you want to go over that again? Uh, there was one last thing. Uh, as I mentioned before, there is one other way to generate an offline wallet. Uh, that is slightly less secure than using the virtual machine and all that stuff, but it's much, much simpler. Uh, so I can go over that really quick if you would like. Yeah, go right ahead. Okay, so it starts out the same. What you do is uh, you download the bitaddress.org page uh, onto your computer. You unplug your computer from the internet. Then instead of going into a virtual machine, what you do is you just open it directly in your browser. 
you generate the entropy by moving your mouse around. You go, you uh, select the BIP38 encryption. And what you do after all that is... Because this is open in the your normal browser on your computer, you go through, you wipe the cache, you wipe the cookies, uh, you wipe your browsing history, so none of that is left remnant in the browser, so it can't be stolen from your browser's data. Uh, and you do that, you restart your machine after taking the hard drive out, and you should be good after that. Like okay. I said, much, much simpler, but it is slightly less secure because uh, if your machine is compromised by a virus, it could still pick it up, uh, pick up the wallet generation. Okay. Uh, it just won't be able to broadcast it until after you restart your machine. When, when you say entropy, do you, do you mean a hash? Uh, no. Entropy is, uh, well, it's a synonym for chaos or randomness. And that is very important when generating a wallet because you don't want the bytes in the wallet to come out in a predictable pattern. You okay. want them to be as random as possible so that somebody can't essentially predict what your private key would be. Is that like a security nerd term or what? The people using the security business? Or? Yeah, it's a little bit of a security nerd term or a physics nerd term. Uh, oh. Either one. Okay. Uh, what about... Uh, what? What? Papa Cap wants to know what about uh, Node32, N-O-D-3-2. Do you know anything about that? Node32... Uh, I can't say I'm familiar with it, unfortunately. I do know BIP38 is very good, but I don't know Node32, unfortunately. All right, well, maybe you could note that, and uh, we could get you on again to uh, discuss that, or maybe Papa Cap could put something in there uh, uh, else to explain that. Uh, uh -huh. uh, Okay, uh, well, you know, uh, I want to I want to give a big shout out, uh, by the way, because we got to pay the bills here at Supernet Radio Network too. To uh, our first uh, our first advertiser, Altnuts, who runs the uh, Alt Alt uh, the multi pool on uh, for Supernet uh, Altnuts.com. You get out to Supernet Radio, connect to that. And uh, get out to the. It's 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 a simple multi pool like before. You, you can use SHA two fifty six X eleven A six, and it mines the most profitable coins. And you can elect to be paid in Bitcoin or any core coin: Opal coin, Veracoin, Bitcoin Dark, uh, a VPN. Uh, you can be paid off in those. Just another big shout out to uh, altcoins. Uh, Alt Nuts, thanks. And by the way, uh, I said yesterday that uh, I had some questions uh, by Very Very Viral. I sent him out a PDF uh, that has uh, the uh, ad schedule for when uh, SNRN uh, is uh, the asset is launched, and we go full time. 
we we've been work we got all of that stuff a lot of it's ready to go but anyway that ad schedule i sent out to uh, very very viral yesterday still waiting for him to get back to me about uh, what they want to do as far as getting some uh, advertising he's the community manager for vericoin uh but uh, there is a, uh, a 30, generally speaking, we, we have a 30% discount for anybody who embeds the player, our player, in their website, if you do have a website. But maybe that's why you want to come on Supernet Radio, because we got, not only we got Supernet Radio, we presently have 25 websites that are up and running and blasting, and uh, we can give you uh exposure on all of those websites if you like and but uh, and if you embed in your own website our player will give you a 30 percent discount and right now be the first five uh people that uh join uh that that become that do business with us uh, Lutz is giving away the house, man. I had to get after him and uh, we decided we'll do it for the first five people now, Lutz might come after me and says, well, we ought to do it for 10. So the first five that get in, we will grandfather in those uh, first five to the prices that, so we strike a deal with you and you're one of the first five, you can have those prices forever. Uh, so just a little plug for Supernet Radio uh, there and a, another big shots out to uh, Altnuts. Elite Mob runs that site, by the way. You'll see him out on Slack. He's a productive and a valued member of, of uh, Slack as well. Uh, so uh, Node 32 is coming back. Papa Cap comes back and says Node 32 is an antivirus and uh, Ega Boobag comes in and he believes that Node32 is an, uh, an antivirus product. Maybe you mean uh, BIP32, BIP32. What's your response to that there, Colin? Uh, there is no such thing. Uh, well, there was a BIP32. It's uh, not an encryption algorithm. Uh, I was now, looking up. Now, this is, this is BIP, BIP32. Yes, I don't know BIP32. I know BIP38, which is the encryption algorithm. Uh, I did look up Node32 on my phone while I was here. Uh, and it is an antivirus software. I don't know too much about it other than that. Hey, listen, uh, I got an idea. How about how about if you do a review of antiviruses? Uh, and you, we could get you on another show, maybe. Sure, I could do that. All right, because well, we've been running a little while here, and, uh, you know, we want to keep it down. I've got another question. Now, uh, I'm not sure if you're aware of but OpalCoin has a deal with this uh, antivirus company called F-Secure, where you get a discount uh, if you're using Opal. If you're an Opal user and you order through their site, they got a code of some sort, and you get uh, a discount on their uh, on their uh, security package. Are you familiar with F Secure? F dash Secure. No, I am familiar with Kaspersky, Malwarebytes, Avast, and a bunch of other antivirus softwares, but I don't know F Secure. Okay. Well, we could get uh, we could get. Um, Base Guitar Man on, 
maybe he could uh, you could do a show in conjunction with bass guitar man who's a very technical young uh i call him a wonderkin uh from out in uh, california who james recruited to work on supernet he's just an ace programmer and um, maybe it, he, he could help because because your technical background you, you, like you say you're a security guy yes okay and the other thing is i'd like to do is it, it would it be possible to this white paper uh, that you collected the bounty on or the partial bounty could you get in touch with uh uh the nexter people next people and see if we you could release that or if they have fixed what you might have pointed out or what other people pointed out and we could talk about that in the future and uh the other thing to remember is that uh, uh a pencil i believe a pencil is covering this interview and he'll be putting up an, an article on nexter.org we also have an agreement with nexter.org they've embedded the uh player supernet radio player in nexter dot org uh and uh we have an ad running on supernet uh, radio.com with them also so uh that uh i don't see any other questions coming in uh papa cap comes back in uh Killicam says great session guys and uh papa cap comes back in and says node 32 supposedly one of the best antivirus softwares out there extremely low memory footprint been around for a while. That sounds like another show to me, those antiviruses. Yeah, it definitely does. There are a lot of them out there. Uh, I did some research a long time ago on what the best antivirus software was, but that was, I don't know, six years ago? So it's Oh, my gosh. That's like the Paleozoic, man. I know, especially with uh, the computers, it definitely. <laughs> yeah. All right, hey, well, listen, let's uh, let's end the show now, Colin. I appreciate it. I, I, it went really well and smooth. I appreciate your thing. I hope we can look forward to uh, seeing you out there again. And uh, how about uh, you put some uh, contact information out on general and on announcements, and uh, probably on job opportunities out on Slackbot for yourself. And maybe uh, you can get some, you can help some people out and uh, buy yourself a new Lambo for the summertime. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't it? Okay. Thanks again, Colin. All right. No problem. All right. I'll be, well, I'll be talking with you. Stay in touch. Will do. Okay. All right, that was uh, that was uh, Colin zero one two Colin Brady. Where's that twelve? That Tom Brady. Has. He's our super security guy on the Supernet Radio, our superstar f for security. And uh, I thought that went pretty well. I know I learned a lot. Hope you guys did too. And Cavando uh, will be on the uh, Chillex Hour as usual tomorrow afternoon. At the 4 o'clock, we got a lot of stuff coming out. Uh, that's Eastern Standard Time. we got a lot of stuff. We're working on some other interviews. And if anybody wants to come on, they got a subject they want to discuss, or they got a group of people, we got a lot of things coming up uh, with uh, Supernet Radio. Lutz is uh, working away furiously. That guy is a damn dynamo. He drinks that silver, man. i got to start doing that. And I said... He said, uh, he said that silver does it for me. I thought he was talking about the Long Range's horse. <laughs> <laughs>
But anyway, uh, that's another whole story. Uh, thanks again for listening. Hope it helped you out. Kavando signing off from Snowy Cape Cod. Peace out.